0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com
1: B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B-Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca.
2: If my teachers are coming in saying, it's great that we have this printer, but I don't even know where it fits into my my curriculum, well, maybe they didn't need that printer. So I went to them first and said, what are some of the tools we could use? The first tool we got was something called a bench mill. And I have no idea how to use a bench mill, but it's, it's pretty important i guess in in manufacturing so our kids had to learn x y and z and how to graph things well that meant the math teacher had to figure had to help out there was some statistics involved and so our engineering teachers going over to the math department during their common planning and saying could one of you come in and cover my engineering class next week and teach the statistics i'll show you how we do it but you're better at the math than i am and then they're asking me permission like do you mind if we like swap each other's classes for a couple of days and i'll show them how engineering works in math and the math math teacher will do the math and the engineer, do I mind?
0: Thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Now, in his seventh year as principal of Uxbridge High School, Mike Rubin has successfully led Uxbridge High School's designation as a Commonwealth of Massachusetts Innovation Pathway School, one of the first four schools in the state to earn this distinction and he currently serves on the PLTW networking conference planning committee, along with being chair of the Blackstone Valley EdHub Board of Advisors. Uxbridge High School has also been recognized as a member of the National Consortium of Secondary STEM Schools and the CAPS Network. Mike Rubin is presented on the state and national level regarding Uxbridge High School's commitment to authentic learning and building partnerships with local industry. Finally, Mike was also named the Massachusetts Principal of the Year for 2020. I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to Mike. I've seen him at a couple of the conferences and um, spoken to him before. And the idea of him being committed to authentic learning and building partnerships is right up my alley and something I'm super interested in hearing about today. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, Chris. It's great to be with you. um, I'll just jump right into it. I mean, you've got clearly from your bio, there's a couple of things that... Um, stand
2: out. But uh, so what is it overall that you love about being a school leader? So I I think for me, the the opportunity to impact a lot of different disciplines and kids indirectly and get to see that spark ignite across so many different platforms is something I, I never really would have thought possible when I first decided to become an English teacher all those years ago you know there, there's there's this certain leverage that we have to build relationships with people in the building, outside the building, students, adults, families, faculty members, industry partners that when you when you're the principal, you get to be kind of at the at the nexus of all of that. and that sort of work gets me out of bed in the morning and the, and the second part of it is um, as something to which I'm sure you can certainly uh, attest, no two days are ever the same right. and you know i think i think while i i admire bill murray harold Ramos, and groundhog day <laughs> i don't think i could live like that so the fact that every day brings a new adventure and a new opportunity uh really i think is at the heart of what we try to do here uh with our students and and in our, our little community here in uxbridge that's so
0: well put about something different every day and you mentioned the word nexus that stood out to me, um, and I just think hub of everything when you're talking about authentic learning, building partnerships, things like that, how can leaders, because it's something I, I personally, I'm personally working on it now and struggling with it, but how can leaders become that hub or or? work to achieve that by reaching out to local industries and so forth?
2: Yeah. So it's a great question. And it's, it's not something that necessarily any of us did in our, you know, those practicums all those years ago when we were first studying to be administrators. So to, to be really concrete, we serve our communities and we are, you know, contextually, I I studied a lot of sociology in, in college and, you know, we're, we're products of the communities in which we reside and, you know, Whitman Hanson is different than Uxbridge, and Uxbridge is different than you know sometimes the town next door. Even though that we're you know surrounded by you know we we play each other on Thanksgiving, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're the same. And I think for me, one of the things that we wanted to try and do was bridge that gap between the world outside and the world that's inside. And one of the first things we did was we we actually looked at labor market data for our region, and we said okay, well, what are some of the data metrics that we can read now that, you know, the Massachusetts Department of Labor has all these great economists that are, that are going out there and, and studying where there's gonna be job openings and where do skills and content merge? And how can our industry partners support us in that mission? So we asked a lot of those questions and we didn't ask them just rhetorically. We asked them and said to the industry people, uh, some of our partners and said, look, our kids are going to go work for you someday. We want to we have our students stay here, retire to Uxbridge, raise their or graduate from Uxbridge, come back, raise their families in Uxbridge, maybe retire here and raise their, their grandchildren here. So if, if that's what it's going to take, well, you know, small business and local industry have to thrive. And we were seeing uh, some patterns emerge where there were more jobs than people to fill them. And we wanted to take our programming here and help fill that gap from both a skills standpoint and a very real human interest standpoint. So now you look at our kids and we, when, you, when you put all of that together as the school leader, your students stop asking the question, well, why am I doing this? Where am I going to use this? Because there's somebody from right down the street who's coming in and saying, you know what, kid, you're right. You are never going to use one minus tangent squared of theta. (laughs) Let's just call it what it is. I loved higher level math, but I don't use it every single day. I don't use, you know, logarithms every single day. But I solve problems every single day. And I have to look at variables in different ways. And I might have to share how I solved that problem with somebody else. And that's a math class. Um, that's an engineering class. I might do it wrong, and someone's going to give me feedback, and I'm going to have to go back and recycle that feedback in another way. That's what our industry partners were telling us they needed. They needed creative problem solvers. They needed kids who could communicate. And then there were some very specific tools that they really clearly articulated. They said, it would be great if student X could do Y. And we said, you know what? We could do that. We, we can merge that into our curriculum. Because now we're serving all kinds of purposes. And for some of our students, for whom the technical schools are out of reach, or college beyond high school is financially going to be a challenge because, you know, we, we, we have a, 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 a significant number of our students here that are economically disadvantaged. We, we want to make sure we put them in a position to be successful. And there's honorable work in, you know, working in fast food or working, pulling coffee at Dunkin' Donuts or, or what have you. But we also worried about living wage down the road, and you know, mo- most of us had a lot of those jobs when we were in high school, and you know, flip pizzas or waited tables or bust. We've a lot of us have. Done, I did that. I'm, I'm not sure if you did, Chris, but but we did those sort of things, and it was all part of the journey. And we wanted our kids to understand that as well.
0: That's so powerful what you said. The idea that you know, and and again, authentic learning. How you how you went out to the community, saw what was needed because you want to build that community. So it's all around the idea of, of staying within the community, but the understanding that your job, your first job out of high school should not be your end job when you're done, that it, it's it's a journey.
2: Right. And and for our kids, and and we all see this in secondary education, it's become too risky to make a mistake. If you make a mistake leaving high school and you go off to college and you have been saying since you were in fifth grade, I want to be a nurse, and then you get to college and you don't like nursing, most people can't afford to make a one-year mistake when that one year costs thousands and thousands of dollars. So the merging of of sort of the, the guidance side of it, the authentic side of it, the technical and the very real world education side of it helps kids make good decisions. Which is in turn good for their families. It's good for their communities. And, you know, look, I've, I've got a daughter who's 11. Uh, when she's 18 I, and she graduates from high school, I hope she makes, uh, you know, she's had some guidance along the way to things that she's good at. But almost more importantly, I want her to know the things that she's not. Because if you go off to school saying you want to be something and you get there and you realize that it is the furthest thing from what you really like then I've done something wrong as a high school principal.
0: That's how often do we say, I know I said it a ton coming up as a teacher. I've
2: said it as a leader that I learn
0: more by seeing what I don't want to be like.
2: Yeah, Oh yeah. You know, I still, I still hang on to the dream that, you know, when I was 17, I really thought I would be the starting center fielder for the Boston Red Sox. And, And then it turned into, well, maybe I'll be the guy who's writing about the Boston Red Sox. And, you know, I guess I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you on a podcast and do a little sports casting on the side. So I guess it wasn't that far away. But but the reality is that, you know, most of most of our students, that plot line is not going to be linear where it goes from A to B and ends all the way at C. There are going to be times where they step backwards. They end up up on a hill, down on a mountain, going back the other way. The progression isn't always as letter perfect as as everyone would think they would imagine. And that's where the learning we're doing here helps kids explore that ahead of time. So at least they have some realization about themselves. And, you know, the, the hardest thing about it is is really getting kids to go outside that comfort zone because when, you know, students go outside their comfort zone, and I'm sure you, you see this, they're very worried about, well, gee, what if I don't do well on this and I get a, I'm not gonna get an A and, you know, that, to me, and this is coming from a kid who got a lot of A's, the, the shame in that is you never push yourself outside of areas that you might, I never took an art class because of that. Somebody told me when I was fourth in fourth or fifth grade that I wasn't very good at drawing. And so I never took an art class. And you know, now one of my my guilty pleasures is, is heading to the MFA in Boston and just spending hours there looking at things that I myself am not capable of doing. I realize that that's a little bit of a, of a, of a reach and maybe a reach for some of our kids, but if it's not for some of our kids, they need to find that out while they're here because we don't want to have them go their whole life wondering what if I had activated a part of my brain.
0: You know, that's one of the great things about what you're doing at your school and, and some of the belief systems that you're instilling is that is addressing that gap, right? Between we want kids to explore, but there's such a A heavy, overwhelming sense of I can't make a mistake and the concern of being perfect the first time out.
2: Well, and and, you know, this is where the the idea of of mental health comes in and, um, you know, students that are 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 worried about, you know, the product over the process. And, you know, it's it's great if I can spit back out to you what you maybe want to hear as opposed to maybe I got this wrong. and. You know, I can't tell you how often, you know, one of our, I'll give you a a pretty rigid example. One of our business partners, a company called Lenza, they're right down the street. They're a, they're, they're a manufacturing company. They are homed, their home is in, um, in Germany, but their corporate office for the United States is, is here in Uxbridge. And they're a a manufacturer of like mechanical drives, motion control, you know, uh, automated systems. And, they start their meetings every day on the floor with basically an engineering design process. Who has a problem? What are the tools they need? And what's a possible solution? Or not in that order. What are the, what, what's the problem? What's a possible solution? What are the tools or supports they need? To whom is it going to report? We have that same graph, basically, that same chart in a bunch of our classrooms. I had two teachers come to me the other day with a, hey, we have this sort of scheduling issue because we're in the first couple of weeks of school, but here's a possible solution if the counselors can make it happen. They're modeling that for the kids. We're modeling that for each other. And, you know, today I was in, just today I was in a graphic design classroom where the teacher said, I want you to stop thinking about this as your art class or your technical education class. You are now working in a graphic design shop and this is our office. And If you're gonna have your phone out because you're gonna work better with an earbud in, that's fine. But if you're distracting the person next to you, that's not. And that's really powerful when you're modeling that for for your students because they're gonna get a project for an adult in the building who becomes their, again, their client. And they're gonna learn all this very basic introductory uh, composition and and design tools that they're gonna be able to use that right now, they don't know where it falls in in that flow chart, but they will. And maybe they don't want to be graphic designers, but they'll know how to solve problems and they'll know how to interact with people. And that's awesome.
0: That is absolutely fantastic. Today's podcast is brought to you by Better Leaders, Better Schools, the place out-of-the-box leaders in education turn to to grow their leadership skills. Maybe you're interested in making better decisions, creating your idea week, or building a world-class culture. Learn more at better leaders, better Schools. Dot com. That's better leaders, better schools, dot com. I use Anchor to distribute the seeing-to-lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I do want to take a part of what you were talking about because the idea of the teachers going to the guidance counselors, right? We're talking about support, engaging, and empowering teachers. The idea that the teachers, came and said, hey, we have the scheduling problem, but we can go to guidance and we think we have this figured out. That's, that's perfect. What I'm wondering is, so when you started laying all this out, there must've been all kinds of issues, maybe not problems, but just the idea of the engagement of the teachers and in that vein, the support, because it's kind of scary if all of a sudden now you're gonna redo your curriculum to something completely authentic away from that old school type of stuff. How did you go about supporting teachers
2: for that or or getting them engaged in the process? So there were a couple of couple of layers to that. First was when we built out the first pathway we had here was in in manufacturing and it was it was mirrored very closely over the Project Lead the Way curriculum, you know, which we already had in place. You know, it predated me here. Uh, credit to uh, Tara Bennett, the, my predecessor here as principal, who uh, along with my recently retired assistant principal, Michael DiMeglio, they had the foresight, you know, before I was here, to, to put a couple of those classes in place and and hire a teacher who uh, could get enthusiastic about it. The challenge was the master schedule didn't allow a lot of kids to take it. So when we redid some of the things uh, around scheduling and Program of studies, graduation requirements, when I when I got here, what that enabled us to do was create these, create more opportunities and access for students. And as a result, the teachers saw this as a a sort of maybe more tacit respect of their program. You know, because it was going to help them thrive rather than just hang on with these small classes of five or six kids that kids were thrown into when it fit. It became something around which we wanted them to the students to, to go through a program. And in those first couple of years, it was really important for me to get a sense of the teachers uh, where they felt like the holes were. And, you know, we, we were talking, we had all these different people in our region that were talking about soft skills. And we had our school committee that had set out a goal about college and career readiness. And we had, uh, you know, our business partners saying, we're, we're facing this, this, what they call the silver tsunami of, of workers who are going to retire and we don't have an ability to replace them. I kind of threw the Venn diagram up on the board and said, okay, well, if we have all of these things sort of merging together... Where can we, where's the line of best fit? And so for teachers, it became, we're going to, we're going to support your program, but the trade-off is going to come in, instead of teaching, oh, I don't know, there are a bunch of classes you could do third in the uh, engineering program from Project Lead the Way. You know, our teacher at the time had been trained in civil engineering and architecture. There really wasn't a market for that here. So it was, I'm going to send you to training for, uh, for construct uh, computer integrated manufacturing because that's what business is saying we need I'll get you the training I'll get you the bodies I'll get you the kids in the room I'll even get you the equipment and we started writing you know we wrote some grants we brought in some industry standard equipment we trained people on it you know my first year here we had one part-time art teacher teaching two sections each semester we now have three full-time art teachers and they're bursting at the seams and they're they're teaching 110 120 kids each semester so uh, part of that was really strategic. Part of that was getting central office on board. But in doing that, the teacher started to feel this, okay, if this guy's going to have my back with some of the more complicated conversations around budget and staffing, the least we can do is have his back when he comes to us with an idea about Curriculum or instruction, and we nestled it into into people's professional practice goals. We merged it all together, and you know, came out on the other side of our school improvement plan three years ago with a three course pathway in engineering. What we didn't realize was that it would take fire in other places. And you know, the the you know, we 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 had the good fortune to hire a a media teacher and, and you know, media slash fine art slash tech ed teacher who, you know, has has been kind of a kid magnet, you know, the, the kids love that class. And when you say things like, hey, guys, we're, we're here working in a shop. Um, and I'm going to treat you like your adults, kids, kids will flock to that. Kids love the biomed classes, because they're interesting. I mean, they're, they're, they're using cool technology. And it is about process and not necessarily the hip bones connected to the leg bone. They still learn that they just do it a little bit differently. And then, you know, we just started a business pathway and, you know, I told that teacher we just hired, who's a brand new to us. And like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to, to give you the, the proverbial green banana, but your classes are so popular. You have more kids than anybody else in the building right now because the kids saw that as, you know, maybe it's the shiny nickel because they have never seen this in the program of studies before. But at the same time, we know kids are going to go into that and, Kids like the idea of studying finance, and maybe they think they're all gonna make a million bucks. So for me, it was putting all of these things together. You put them all out there, you find that line of best fit. And the staff realized very early on that part of this was about security. Part of this was about that idea of, you know, we're gonna move from good to great, we're gonna get on the bus and we're gonna, we're gonna partner. But then there was also a little bit of the academic department saying, well, gee, I'm a I'm a social studies teacher. So where do I fit in this? Uh, I'm an English teacher. You know, you're talking a lot about technical education and authentic learning. Well, where does that fit in? And you know, you 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 look at that and you say, well, the good news is, the state decided we're gonna have to do a civics project, and there's nothing more authentic than that. We had the opportunity to bring the eighth grade to our school, so we went from a nine through twelve to an eight through twelve. And our civics, our civics project in grade eight, we had we had kids getting letters back from congressmen in Texas and in the Midwest and the, on voter suppression laws on both sides. That's real. So th- that's where all of this kind of merged together, and people started to catch on. With wait, the, the kids don't want to ask me why am I doing this. They want me to answer that before we start.
0: That's. <laughs> First of all, where do I send the check for the class you just gave?
2: <laughs> oh, no. oh let, me, let me tell you the, 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 now no, please. Let me tell you that's civ- the civics classes. We, the first year we ran grade eight civics classes here was 1920. And we all know what happened in March. And we had kids that year when we remember how uh, 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 just the abomination that was. Those three months at the end of the 1920 school year, where well, we might meet with a class once, and you might see a kid on Zoom. We had kids asking the teacher, "Can we come to school to finish our civics project?" Because we got so far with it. And we had t- teachers meeting here with the kids outside because we didn't know any different to present their final civics projects. Eighth graders like that to me speaks of such volumes. Not just about about the kids, the teachers, but and the process. Just everything. That's just so awesome.
0: That's uh, I'm I'm even speechless over that. And it it jumps over because I was going to say I wasn't kidding when you talked about you basically just laid out a blueprint for for how a school leader can do this and get support to the teachers and things like that. But but what I'm hearing from you and I noticed it in a lot of your verbiage, you never talked about a problem. Or an issue or anything like that, you you called them opportunities. Like when you said we had the opportunity to bring the eighth grade up and, and become an eight to 12 school. I'm hearing that you you basically flipped the perception around the idea of these classes from my class is disappearing to look, this is an opportunity for you to grow your class.
2: Exactly. And 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 you're you're absolutely right. And it became an opportunity for us to to really say, okay, well, what are the things you you really believe in? as, as a teacher and what are the things you believe in that you believe a kid should teach? And look, I was an English teacher. Uh, I can't imagine teaching my seniors a survey on British literature without Chaucer. Uh, I personally, I can't do it. Um, I wouldn't be able to teach it without Chaucer, but it has nothing to do with iambic pentameter, you know, for someone out there, you know, the, the, the two or three kids I had over the course of my, my years in the classroom that went on to be English teachers, Maybe it had something to do with the iambic pentameter. But Chaucer was about, like, let's poke fun at society. Let's look at these different rungs of society and and talk about how that really hasn't changed. It's no different than a sketch on Saturday Night Live that you watch every week. And it was just done in, in the format that they had back in the, in the Middle English. So for, for our kids, that's the same story we're trying to tell now, is, okay, well, you might've always wanted to teach how to set. We've complained about how kids don't send us appropriate emails. So take a couple days and teach it and nestle that in. That doesn't mean you have your, your lesson on how to teach an email, but Hey guys, today we're working on emailing. uh, You know, if, if you had to ask the principal for supplies for your project, how would you do it? And it wouldn't be, I need paint and nails for my project, Mr. Rubin. Let me know when I can get them as one long sentence. It would have a Mr. Rubin comma. And sometimes, you know, we get this from the civics class. We had kids last year who were working on uh, the potential of building another field here at the school. They had to send me an email that said, when are you available to me? I'd like to talk to you about this. What are some of the, and, and here are some of the questions we're going to ask. For an eighth grader to learn that, for a 10th grader to learn that, They're going to take that with them forever. And do they do it? Well, is it perfect? Well, I mean, you know, I, I played soccer my whole life. I never walked away from soccer practice and had my coach say, Oh, you got a 75 today. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. They, um, the other, the other piece I was going to say is that you made sure to provide PD and anything they needed. So if you were asking them to train up, you, you got them that training. And then the real anchor to that whole thing was trust. Um, the idea and, you know, you were, I, I believe the way you said it is they started to see it as, Hey, if this guy's got my back when it comes down to staffing and things like that, well, then, then I trust that he's not doing anything, you know, that's going to harm me or anything like that. And so the teachers were then willing to get on board and, and try new things.
2: Yeah. And, and it became an ongoing support. You know, one of the, one of the things that, you know, you, when you, one of the worst things you can do is, is you buy a piece of equipment, you throw it in a room, and then in the, you know, six months later, it's collecting dust, and nobody knows how to use it. So we brought people in that were experts in the field, and we said, like, all right, how do you use this? But when we signed those agreements for professional development, it was, by the way, we're going to have you back in a few months, and we're going to provide the time. And one of the things that I think, and I remember this from my own classroom days, it, we ask the teachers to give us a sense of what do you need to be successful, because you know we we were a one to one school before I got here, um, but my standard line was I think most people would agree Aristotle was a good teacher and he taught with a stick. You know he's, you know he was in a cave. Uh, you and I we are sitting here hundreds of miles hundred miles apart, connected by some fiber optic wire that is in the sky because it's wireless. And we're communicating with each other. But if we were to be across the table from each other, we'd we'd need to know how to do that too. And if my teachers are coming in saying, it's great that we have this printer, but I don't even know where it fits into my, my curriculum. Well, maybe they didn't need that printer. So I went to them first and said, what are some of the tools we could use? The first tool we got was something called a bench mill. And I have no idea how to use a bench mill. But it's, it's pretty important, I guess, in, in manufacturing. So our kids had to learn X, Y, and Z and how to graph things. Well, that meant the math teacher had to, figure, had to help out. There was some, some statistics involved. And so our engineering teachers going over to the math department during their common planning and saying, could one of you come in and cover my engineering class next week and teach the statistics? I'll show you how we do it, but you're better at the math than I am. And then they're asking me permission, like, do you mind if we like swap each other's classes for a couple of days and I'll show them how engineering works in math and the math teacher will do the math and the engineer, like, do I mind? Yeah. I'm, like, doing a <laughs> dance, right, right? Jumping oh, all over the place. This is like, this is like my dream. But the, the, the other side of that coin is that they weren't afraid to be vulnerable with themselves and be able to say like, Hey, look, this is not something that's in my wheelhouse. I'm not great at this. When our, when our business, one of our business partners made a comment to me about using dial calipers, can you train kids on dial calipers? Well, if you look on the project lead the way curriculum, there is nowhere does it say anything about dial calipers. If you look at Massachusetts, uh, manufacturing standards it's called MacWIC certification, precision measurement is on it. So I went back to the teachers and I said, look, I know the curriculum doesn't say anything about dial calipers. Lenza America Precision Engineering, they're down the street. Lampen Technology, they're down the street. They need our kids to know how to use micrometers and dial calipers. Can we factor that in? The teacher said, "Well, yeah, sure, but we don't really have a lot of them to give one to every kid. But we we'll, we can figure it out." And okay, well, give me a couple of days. So I went to my you know back to my email and said, "Hey, teachers are on board. Just need to figure out where we can get these." And then two days later, a hundred of them show up at our doorstep because. They have them, they have them sitting in a closet, use a mic. And I'm like, okay, great. We'll use them. So instead of using a ruler, instead of using a protractor, they're using a dial caliper. Okay. Again, I have no idea how to use this thing or a micrometer. I have no idea how to use it. I don't even know if the teachers knew how to use it at first, but here we are three years later and that's embedded in our curriculum. And it's embedded in our curriculum because of context and that's where all of this sort of merges together and people feel like they're making a difference they're making a difference to the industry partner they're making a difference to their kids and you know in the end when you know you watch a couple of your students sell one of their products to like a a global company you sit there and you go man we, we might be onto something here
0: yeah yeah we might be making strides hey everyone So that's a wrap for part one with Mike Rubin. And like I promised at the beginning, he's got a ton of value that he's adding to leaders and teachers as he talks about how he makes his curriculum relevant and authentic, how he took the time to interact with the community, get people on board that way, then support, engage, and empower teachers to create pathways for students so that they could be even more successful in more aspects of life. Look, There was so much that we talked about and as you could tell because you just listened to it, we have a lot more we want to get to. That's episode two. I really look forward to having you come back next week to catch part two where Mike gets a little more personal, talks about himself and how he got through some hardships and helped teachers get through hardships. A lot of good strategies in that episode. I look forward to seeing you there. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world class environment through a teacher centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway learn more at dr blog. continue to improve and go have a successful week
1: and now a quick word from our sponsor jigsaw learning whether you lead at the school district or division level you're serving a wide array of students and you know that no one person has all the answers when it comes to meeting each of their needs That's why Jigsaw Learning helps leaders and their staff and faculty to develop a collaborative approach. Every child deserves a team, and when you put together the pieces of effective collaboration, you can realize that team's full potential. Connection, relationships, and authentic collaboration are at the foundation of Jigsaw Learning's work. Through professional learning presented on-site, online, or a blend of both, Jigsaw's team of experienced learning associates works with you to develop a personalized plan To help collaborative response thrive in your organization learn why educators have described working with jigsaw learning as powerful wonderful and beneficial for all students visit jigsawlearning.ca and connect with the team for information that's jigsawlearning.ca
0: there are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it but when do they actually do all those things Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash B-E.